I'm Ken Shelton, and welcome to the Liberated Educator Podcast. Because training is a part of trespassing. The whole, the whole point, look, the whole point of why I have the 84 Olympics there is when they, when LA won the Olympics and they had to build all the training facilities, one of the facilities they built was a pool over by the Coliseum. And so after the Olympics, that pool ended up being uh, available to the community over there in Central and South Central LA, where they started the doing Street, programs at the village. Right, at the village. That's where my, that's where, where, my that's, that's where my dad taught my mom how to swim. Yeah, see, and that's my whole point is, which will tie in with uh, the proximity of participation. Is you can't say that, like for example, black folks can't swim when we don't even have access to a pool to learn how to swim in the first place. Hey yo, welcome to the podcast, The Liberated Educators, where two brothers are ready and able sit at the table. It's Ken Sheldon D. Linnea. Yeah, y'all, they doing this. They're purely intellectuals and equity enthusiasts, creating change by shifting the conversations critical to our culture, to our people, to our nation. And for the record, yeah, they talking education. Yeah, they talking about building our own because we've been patient. A CPT concept, three different segments that's jam-packed with content we all can invest in. Breaking that chain called tradition, the critical conversations on issues. But y'all listen, they ain't talking about it late. Y'all just hearing it. So sit back, relax, tune in, and be a part of this. You know how hard it is. They know you want greater. They know you want the liberated educator. Go ahead, lead it out, Ken, because you like to you like to say that I don't like the outdoors and you do. You like to make this narrative. I love the outdoors. <laughs> you know how this started, right? When we worked somewhere else together, and I I provoked some folks and said, <laughs> I I purposely I I purposely put the stereotype out there just to make sure it was known that some people don't feel comfortable with going up into the mountains. Some people don't feel comfortable with these going on hikes. Like we having a, a, all these company retreats and everything has to do with doing outdoorsy sort of things. And you know that culturally that may be problematic. And so I put it out there just to, to push some buttons, but I, you know, the reality is, is that I grew up going camping. So Go ahead and know yeah, that. I, you know, I grew up going camping. Well, let, let's be but clear. But I still got a problem with the word camping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's be clear. There's a difference between making a choice to go do that and being forced to go do it, and especially being forced to go do it in areas where you don't necessarily feel that your safety uh, is being considered. You know, I happen to like the outdoors. I was introduced to fly fishing by my father more than 25 years ago. And I, I've been fortunate enough to go fly fishing in more than a dozen states in three different countries. And, you know, when it comes to the whole camping thing, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's tie in a little historical component to that. You know, our ancestors slept in the outdoors uh, and that was forced, you know, yeah. That wasn't my See, now we get, now we're getting into the why behind some stuff, right? Why is there like psychological worry about doing outdoorsy things? Right. So, you know, you've got that component, which, you know, I'm a firm believer in generational trauma. And also I will add that, you know, let's talk about camping for a second here, because camping can be, I have a sleeping bag and I sleep on the ground or 
I'm in the outdoors, but I'm in a cabin or I'm in the outdoors and I'm in a tent. My whole thing with the outdoors is I like being outside. I like being in open spaces. I grew up in an urban environment like many of us, but you know, that doesn't mean that, that we can't enjoy the outdoors. And in fact, for the audience here, here's one for you. I would encourage the audience to look up Bill Pickett and see there's a very long history of black cowboys on the lands that we currently live on. A long history. Bill Pickett would be the first Google search I would encourage people to do. On this, okay. I'm just thinking. Hadn't done a ton of research. But I'm just thinking, all right, if the whole concept of camping is I leave the comforts of my home and I go experience nature, if that's the, if that's the setup, right? Like, Hey, we should do something here. You get to leave the comforts of your home and go experience something and go live, you know, out in the wild and do that sort of deal. But what if I've never fully experienced the comforts of home? My own home. That's right. So you telling me to go do something to take a break from what is normative for you and you go do something else, which is a little risky because <laughs> let's, let's add some adventure. And you're like, what if my life is already risky and adventurous enough? <laughs> it's already yeah, where I already am. No, I, and, my, I, I, and my normal life is already uncomfortable. My, my normal living situation is already uncomfortable. So then your idea of vacation is to go sleep on the ground and to swap bugs. Like, where's the, where's the joy factor? Where's the, I want to experience this attraction. (laughs) I'm not escaping what is like normally, you know, air conditioned and plush and going to try something new. And I got to be surrounded by a bunch of white people. Who gonna culturally dominate the conversation, and so I have to live in a in a code switch context. It outdoors in the cold, in a tent, and sleep on the ground. Nah, man, I ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, that's why that's why I juxtapose forced versus choose. So when I'm given the opportunity to choose, I do like the outdoors. I am grateful that my dad, you know, may he rest in power. I'm grateful that he exposed me to a lot of a lot of those things. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is intentional around the fact that many of the environments that we are exposed to or that we grew up in, we don't have we don't have the ability to do those things because they either require financial access, they require some sort of transportation, they require some sort of awareness of where you're going. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm with you. If it's forced, like it, like it had, like what you had alluded to that we were, um, I would say coerced into doing, you know, what's interesting. I'm going to give you a choice by telling you what to do. <laughs> um, right. You know, but, but, you know, again, for me, I mean, there's a long history around that. I, I can I can share, you know, for with you and even the audience that uh, 
I only know of one. In fact, it was an article I was sent um, by a, um, a company that I purchased a backpack from. And they had a whole article that they had released uh, not too long ago that kind of coincided with the raising of the awareness of uh, Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, that, that, <laughs> that we needed more than just matter. <laughs> we need to just be. But, but they did an article. It was a, it was a fascinating article. It was a, a veteran uh, who was an, is an avid fly fisherman. It was a, a, a black male veteran who was a, is, an, is an avid fly fisherman. I'm like, holy cow, I've never seen someone else besides me, my dad, and my dad's brother. So, you know, I think this whole thing ties into understanding of the outdoors, understanding of what what potential things that we can do when provided the opportunity to do them, and then what are the barriers to entry for that opportunity in the first place. And that's where I go the whole idea around, um, you know, the proximity to participation. You know, and that's what yeah. I mentioned. You've got to have the financial means. You've got to have the awareness of a destination and you've got to have the mechanism to get to that destination. Yep. See, cause like, to be real, like, even when I said that I just kind of messed with the whole Camden thing, because I understand why it could be problematic for some, though I also understand that I don't have a problem with it, but I know why. And it has everything to do with proximity. Like it wasn't until I moved to North Carolina that I ever heard the stereotype that black people don't like water. Cause I grew up on the West coast, like right, right. afraid of water. What you talk about? Like we go to the beach like every other week. So if it wasn't going to Santa Monica or going to Redondo, then we go into man to the lake, like are going fishing. Like, what do you mean? Afraid of water? I never heard of this before. But I also recognize I had everything to do with my proximity and like the intentionality of my uncle's intentionality uh, on the few occasions for my dad to say, hey, we're going to go there. And it was a short drive. Like going to Thousand Oaks was not hard. Right. 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 Uh, going up to Big Bear to go to the mountains was not hard. But I also recognize that I had a ton of friends that that never went to those spots. You know, some went to the beach, but never went to the uh, camping spots or went to the mountainous spots. Because when we got there, I looked around, didn't see a lot of other people that looked like me there. So I think it's I, I think of what you said of. It's, it's proximity and access, and it's also proximity because you, you mentioned your dad several times. Like, there's that, that representation factor. Um, and so it's, it's also proximity to the people who would say, come on, let's go. And that's where right. we're going. Right. Right. And, you know, you, you're touching on another thing, like the whole swimming thing. You know, I'm, I was fortunate enough that my parents put me in a pool and I had swimming lessons by the time I was two years old. 
Now, of course, back then right. it's not so much swimming as it is survival in a pool, i.e. Right. hold your breath and recognize that, you know, if you happen to fall into a pool that you can hold your breath and, and know that you're usually within arm's reach of the side. Now, I will, I will mention that, again, if we're talking about the proximity, that was due in no small part to the fact that my uh, paternal grandparents in their home, they had a pool in the backyard. And, you know, if you want to even speak in terms of proximity, which we could say for another episode, my, my paternal grandparents were one of the first black families to buy a home in Culver City because, historically speaking, Culver City was a redlined area of Los Angeles. So you see, there's that whole idea of the proximity. One, they had to be able to buy the home. Then two, the home happened to have a pool. Then three, I had to be given swimming lessons. Then four, I was able to, uh, you know, essentially grow up, not just with easy access to a swimming pool, but you even just pointed it out. The beach is literally almost, you know, it was only a few miles away. And that's why I love sharing with, with folks, you know, the whole idea of, proximity participation, how many other things would we do if they were just within the proximity of us being able to do them? I learned how to surf as a teenager. Now, I'm not particularly good, but for me, it was like, look, I'm not afraid of the water. I know how to swim quite well. And I had friends in high school that were uh, surfers and were like, you need to come out and learn how to do this with us. And so for me, of course, I'm like, yeah, I can do that. They had surfboards. The ocean was, you know, even less distance from my high school. And I was able to go do that. I think a big part of that is, is again, it's our participation in many of the things that we do in large part is predicated on the access that we have to them in the first place. Yeah, we don't even have time to get into, you know, the historical uh, reality of public pools being largely segregated. It's probably not even the right word to call them segregated. uh, If historically public pools were only accessible to black people on a certain day of the week and after that day of the week, the pools were drained yeah, you know, and, to and get washed. That's right. Right. Right, right. So the only segregation that was happening was essentially the non-mixing of black and white people in the same public forum. But it's much worse than that. Because when you consider like even just that the the representation of this this place has to be cleaned after you leave. Or if we are in the same place, if you get in while I'm in, we gotta scream at you get you out and then in your presence we got to drain it and we have to clean it and we have to like so there's a there's a historical reality of public pools are trauma-inducing so we're not doing that but i think about okay then how does that carry over right from that was just my grandfather right so if that's just my grandfather and my grandmother they raised my mom (laughs) they raised my five other uncles and aunt. So they have that in their head, right? And it wasn't until my mom met my dad in high school and then later when they started dating that my mom ever went to a public pool. 
And she learned, my dad taught my mom how to swim because he was a Marine. Yeah. See? And we were talking about, you know where that is. You know where she learned how to swim. Yes, I do. We'll we'll mention that shortly because I, I want to add to the fact that, you know, there is a recent occurrence where there was a, a black family at a public pool. And of course, a patron, a white female patron at the pool called 911 because she felt that they didn't belong there. And it goes to the whole idea that you just shared around, you know, the the accessibility of public water spaces uh and then the um what i would say the embodied mindset that if you are there you are trespassing you don't belong this is not a space for you and the interesting thing about that that ties in with what you just shared is you know growing up here in los angeles you know i'm not a fan of the olympics uh which we could talk about another time but but they the, in 1984, the Olympics were here in Los Angeles. And so part of, part of Los Angeles being awarded the Olympics was they had to guarantee the IOC that training facilities would be built uh, and competition facilities would be built. And so to the point you're making, which is, you know, I would say a good thing as far as the Olympics being here in 1984 was the pool that was built for all of the swimming competitions that's over there by the Coliseum that's within uh, the shadow of the University of Southern California, go Bruins, um, is the fact University that- University of South Central. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it's right yeah. in the heart of LA. <laughs> right in the heart of LA, that's right. But that pool ended up becoming, you know, post-Olympics, you know, and keep in mind, that was my teenage year. So post-Olympics, that pool and, and other training facilities over in central and south central LA all of a sudden turned into community pools where swimming programs, learning how to swim, uh, having a place to go play in the water is now all of a sudden within proximity of everyone who lived over there. And so therefore they can now participate in a variety of activities that require, you know, accessibility to water. Yep. So that's where that pool is where my mom learned how to swim as an adult from my dad, who was trained in the military, how to swim. So then he trained my mom and then my mom immediately translated that into my son has to learn how to swim at a very young age. And so then she started taking me to the YWCA and that's where I learned how to swim. Right. But it's crazy because those are, those are like odd circumstances that would allow for formalized training to be able to survive in this thing, which is a recreational sport or activity. This thing, which is supposed to be for leisure, actually requires that someone has just the very basic prerequisite of being able to swim. Right. And so if I have to be able to swim, then I have to have parents who are willing and, and desirous and able to travel to wherever that training can happen. And that's acknowledging that there's an entire historical and cultural reality that could be limiting for that parent to even want to make that happen. Like, why would I want to make my kids endure through the same abuse that I had to endure or this side of abuse that 
my family always told me happens in those places. So we're not getting, we're not going there. We're not getting trained there. So then the stereotype continues of black people are afraid of water. Right. (laughs) Right. If that had, if that really had anything to do with it, the water is not the problem. (laughs) No, no, it's not. It's not the water. It's, it's the social circumstance. And again, the accessibility to be able to do it in the first place. And, you know, I think in terms of, you know, the United States Olympic team is more specifically the swim team. That's why you've, you haven't seen the same degree of uh, black representation of athletes in the pool that you have on the track uh, or in some of the other, other sports. I mean, my, my, my question with that is always the following. What are the barriers to entry and how many of them are either socially constructed or economically constructed? Because you can't say we have no interest in certain things if we've never had the opportunity to experience them in the first place. And this actually ties all the way back to the reference around camping and the outdoors. If it's accessible and we can at least try it, then we can determine whether we like it or not. But if it's not accessible, then you can't say that I don't like it or I'm not capable of doing it because I've never been given the opportunity to try it in the first place. And then you get into stereotype threat playing a part when you bring up like competitive engagement, right? So if culturally I've been conditioned to believe that I am really good at running and jumping, then if there are sports that are also prevalent within my community where I can, I believe that, And I can apply that. And there is an adequate amount of formal and informal training to develop that. Why would I do anything else? Especially if accessibility to those those other places is hard to get to. There's a conditioned fear and this hard to describe mystique around it. Their family members left and right that all talk about they don't know how to swim or they afraid of water. And there's no unpacking as to how that even became a thing. <laughs> right. There's all of this. And then I go to schools that have a swimming pool or swimming program. It just continues. Right. So then we just live with these stereotypes and say black people are good at this thing. White people are good at this thing. And then we create jokes and everything just all just continues to go on as, as it is. And then if you take somebody who's, who's older, who's a, a, an adult even, and say, now we want you to try this new thing. And I got all of that surrounding me, mental, and emotional, like it's real, it's real fear and terror. So then it turns into, yeah, nah, I don't do that. <laughs> Well, I'm not even willing to try to do that because I've recognized that also within the society in order to for me to truly survive, I have to I have to be uber successful. I have to prove myself. And so this isn't a place where I can just experiment and, you know, as we like to say in education, fail forward and failure is not an option. So how about I just stick with what I know and what I'm good at? 
See, this is why we do this podcast. This is why this is why we believe in the liberated educator because you and I have shared a story around even something that is normalized for so many folks of learning how to swim. There's liberation in being able to enjoy a pool, a lake, a river, or even the ocean. And this is why we do this cast. Next time we have the chance to be in the same proximity with one another, and it's safe to do so, let's do something outdoors, bro. I'm on that. Thank you for listening to today's CPT conversation on the Liberated Educator Podcast. On the behalf of Ken Shelton and Dee Lanier, we'll see you next week.